Blog Talk Radio. soundtracks. Oh, and that's all just success, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Oh, hell yeah. And we'll be talking about soundtracks during during the podcast for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, he was born in Knoxville, Tennessee while his mother was in there at UT taking a course. And his mother... And him lived in the Heights. And I've told Carl stories about this place, haven't I, Carl? Yes, you have. The Heights is one of those places where if you're white you just don't and you don't belong if you don't belong there, period, don't go there. Mhm. It was the one of the roughest, meanest tenements. In Knoxville. So if you're wondering where he got, he gets this thing where he thinks he's a black man. Yes, he was in the Heights. If you're not black, you're dead, and he's not dead. Hmm. So yeah, he, he he adopted it. I mean, we all we all adapt to our our uh, where we're born and so on and so forth in our life. And certainly, if you take a look at his films, you could tell there's an urban feel to all of them, and that he had to live in an urban. So it makes it makes sense. Yeah. His first 
movie, and this is an unfinished movie, Carl. They filmed so much of it, and then fuck it. It's called My Best Friend's Birthday, and I'll bring it up with the film that it goes to. And we're going to be talking okay. about some of our least favorite to favorites. Oh, let's get this out of the way. Fuck four rooms. <laughs> yeah, I second that motion. No, actually, to take it from Lenny Bruce, unfuck four rooms, okay? Yeah. That one is just bad. What would we get that? But now we got to start first with my least favorite, and it's also his debut film, Reservoir Dogs. But for some reason, the movie's never clicked with me, but there's enough promise in it that it made me excited for his second film. Does that make any sense, Carl? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I didn't see Reservoir Dogs until after Pulp Fiction, but but what I love about Reservoir Dogs, and it is not my pick for worst Tarantino film, is is one thing is the casting. And Keitel was just unreal in this movie. Uh, Tim Roth, the, the cast, the, the, the dialogue at the diner right at the beginning. When you hear that dialogue, you're saying, this is unlike anything I've listened to before. Especially if you have not seen any of his films and this was your intro. And so... I, I think it's a wonderful film, and I think yeah. it's, it's a great intro to, to, to Tarantino. Yeah, and it has, uh, what's his name in it? Uh, Lawrence Tierney? Yeah, Lawrence Tierney. <laughs> yeah, we got some stories. about the speech that Steve Buscemi does about not tipping, but for me it's what yep. Lawrence Attorney said afterwards, it just gets to me. Cough up a bucket, you bastard. At least I'm paying for your breakfast. Yep. You know, and we have some stories about Lord's Tyranny from our previous guest, Jeff Burr, too. Remember yeah, that? Yeah, get that episode <laughs> and listen mm-hmm. to it if you want, because Lord's Tyranny was a one of a kind. I have to say the least. And, and you know what? We, the uh, other, the other thing about Reservoir Dogs. Okay, uh, before we go off of Reservoir Dogs, I just want to mention Stephen Wright. Oh, God. Can you stand that voice like of his as a regular DJ? Oh, it's wonderful. And then the whole scene with the cutting of the year, you know, and, 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 and putting that together with Steelers' Will with Jerry Rafferty's song is just brilliant. It really is. Yeah. Okay. And Tarantino said so, this, what surprised him is when they did a test audience screening and it had the version that's in the movie where you don't see the ear. Right. cut off. People were gagging about worse than that. Yeah. Than well, it's all that. about you don't have to show this stuff. If you don't show it, it can be more impactful. Yeah. And, and it is. 
And guess who, which director, when he got out of it, called it a morally useless, disgustingly violent film? I don't know. Who? Wes Craven. Oh, for God. Wes, give me a break. The same guy who directed Last House on the fucking left. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Wes, okay. You can talk about morally depraved, okay? Yeah. When it came out, Reservoir was just the talk of everybody. You got to see this shit. People talk in it. What? (laughs) Yeah. Well, listen, everything about Tarantino is about language and about conversation and speeches and pop culture. All those meld. And so he's very, very clear and concise with his his, uh, dialogue. And it comes through in every one of his films. Period. Yeah. And before we get to your worst, this show is dedicated to something... That just happened maybe 15 minutes before we came on the air. And that is... Absolutely. The great Rutger Hauer has left us, has left the building. Yep. Yes, he has. And, uh... So this episode we'll, we'll, is We'll talk about that after, after the show, after uh, the podcast. Because I have yeah. something planned for that. Yeah. Okay, what's your worst... Well, I I have to go with Death Proof from Grindhouse. Now, let's talk about Grindhouse first. I think Grindhouse is a wonderful film. I love yeah. what they tried to do. Okay. However, I think this is a real misfire from Tarantino for two reasons. One is that Death Proof is not a Grindhouse film. It's a no. drive-in film. The driving is a car film, and the second thing is, I just found that it uh, it didn't it wasn't put together well. It was like like it was real soft at the beginning, and it wasn't until the end where it really kicked in. And listen, I was telling Steve earlier today that beginning with Lorraine Landon and that who I love. Uh, she was an actress in several uh, Larry Cohen films and part of his rep, uh, uh, repertory group. Yeah. Um, I love her, and yet I'm bored silly. And I just don't think it, it, it holds together. Uh, you know, uh, Rodriguez's film, uh, in that, his, his section is absolutely fantastic. But this is where, where Rodriguez got it, and I don't think Tarantino did. I think it's a misfire. So that's well, what I would say. about it because if you look at the scene missing, it's one of the funniest, best jump cuts ever. Okay. Him and the girl are about to make love, and then the film freezes on her ass. The film melts, and it says, scene missing. Sorry, the management. And then it cuts <laughs> yep. the whole goddamn place on fire. Three or four people shot. And we've gotten here the mysterious hero's backstory, but that reel's fucking missing. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. You know, and, and, and the other thing too, okay, and you got to give him credit for this. He introduced us to Zoe Bell, and Zoe yeah. Bell absolutely fucking kicks 
ass. Now, for those that don't know, Zoe is a stunt woman. Okay, and Tarantino, she had worked on several Tarantino films, and Tarantino gave her a shot at being one of the, the final three women who kick uh, uh, stuntman Mike's ass at the end. And she does this elongated uh, um, um, stunt where she's on the car as it's speeding, and it's, that's real. That's not CGI. She's awesome. Yeah. She's awesome. Bill, not so much, but she's awesome. And Kurt Russell is on, too. I love the fact that, and everything good about the film we're talking about is the last 45 minutes, and that's where he screws up because pretty much nothing literally happens during the first 45 minutes. <laughs> Except for Maureen Landon getting killed, and, and it's boring. Which yeah. is a damn shame because it's Lorraine Landis, god damn it. But yeah, I love it. I mean, he's a real stuntman Mike is a real badass tough guy. Until he gets hurt the first time. Right. And then he goes like a little girl, Oh god, oh god, oh help me, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, I do agree. Yep. Even though the last 30, 45 minutes has one of the best fucking car chases ever. Real oh, yeah. stunts, real cars. Yep, I it agree. Just too long to get there. Yeah, the timing is off. Uh, and so that's that would be my choice for worst Tarantino. Sorry, yeah. Quentin, but sorry, but yeah. Robert knows how to cut an action scene or an action oh, movie. Yeah. Oh, damn right he does. Damn right he does. And what we were saying is Grindhouse itself is fun if you get some friends together and make a party out of it. Yeah, I had a blast. I loved all the trailers. I loved everything, you know, uh, uh, um, and the whole putting together and, and that. I mean, it was like a, a love letter to the to the drive-in for me, you know, and, and, and that it certainly was. Yeah, and another way they screwed up is uh, they underestimated how fucking stupid the audience was. Mm-hmm. That's because true. I have to tell this one so we'll move on real quick. It was after Planet Terror ended, and the trailers were about to come up. This guy looked over and said to his wife, well, shit, I thought Kurt Russell was starring in this son of a bitch. Me. There's another Two movie fucking coming movies, on. asshole. Yeah. Th- that would have been a good tagline for the poster. <laughs> yeah. There's two fucking movies, asshole. Hell, I'm staring at the poster now. 
and it shows two different posters for two different movies. Yep. I agree. It probably got my second worst. Okay. So now we're going to go to my next worst one. Which be which would be a film that came out in ninety four and it has aged badly, horribly. Even though Woody Harrelson is fucking good in it. Nat, this is one he wrote, not directed. Natural Born Killers is a piecemeal piece of shit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I I happen to agree with you on that. Now, uh, let's let's make this very clear. He did not write the screenplay. He only gets story credit. He has basically yeah, wiped his hands. Yeah, that's on the screenplay. Exactly, and he has basically wiped his hands of it. He doesn't want to even discuss it. Yeah, I mean. They've counted, there's over 500 cuts in that movie. Mm-hmm. It's like he really couldn't, It's like, this is Oliver Stone we're talking about. He. It's like he really couldn't pin it down to how long you wanted to shot the day. Mm-hmm. And when you have them talking about the filming and say shit like, Oh, it was so great. We were all stoned on mushrooms driving down the road. You know it's going to be bad. Or when you see Morton Downey Jr. in the documentary holding onto his heroin spoon throughout the whole interview and playing with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, this- this one does not work for me. It never did. Never did. Uh, personally, I think it's one of the most. I think it's one of the most overbloated pieces of crap I've ever seen. I I've never liked Natural Born Killers, and it's not Quentin's fault. Okay, let's make no. that clear. But the soundtrack is great, and that's Trent Reznor's fault. Oh yeah, I'd agree with that. And the soundtrack will always be dear to me because it's the first time I had heard songs from this Canadian guy that I might like a little bit. Yes, that's true. true. Because course, it opens... Uh, Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say he actually did a uh, short documentary on Leonard Cohen, which we're not yeah. going to, to add into this... Thing, but it's Man. something that I should but, check out at one point. Yeah, it opens up with the first song playing is Leonard Cohen's Waiting for the Miracle, and the end credits is Leonard Cohen's The Future. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty damn good soundtrack, and Reservoir Dog's soundtrack has not aged that well, but it's still pretty goddamn good. Oh, I agree. Now, we said that at the top of the show, that his soundtracks are just amazing, period. Yeah. What's your next one up, or 
I think I, I absolutely agree with you. I'm with you on that one. So we can move on to your next one. I'd say that's my second worst. Yeah. And it, well, one that he wrote, the one that got him the money, where he went and directed, he used that money that he got from writing this movie script, which we're about to talk about, and he used that to help start Reservoir Dogs. And that would be from Dust Till Dawn. Now that I that's like, something that's co hold on. That's something that's co directed by him and Rodriguez, right? Yeah. Okay, they share. Yeah, I thought so. Okay, go ahead. I liked it, it's good. But the problem is is George Clooney has not found this comic side yet, so he's only okay in it. Harvey Keitel is great as usual. Mm-hmm. Juliet Lewis is playing, still playing the same kind of sleazy, I ain't going to wash my hair for your ass. Trailer Park Skank, she plays it almost all in her roles in a movie. <coughs> but the movie is stolen by three, four actors. Two Mexicans, one Pittsburghian, and one West Coast guy. Okay, keep going. And, and the two Mexicans are uh, Danny keep. Trejo in his second yep. film for Robert as the demonic bartender, and he's fucking great. He has oh, a hell of a fight with the Pittsburgh guy, doesn't he? Yes, he does. And the second gives Cheech Marine one of his best fucking speeches ever. When I think oh, of yeah. that, I think of that speech, don't you? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, well Cheech. We got inky pussy. We got smelly pussy. We got hair pussy. <laughs> We got hairy pussy. We got chicken pussy. <laughs> <laughs> if you can find cheaper pussies than pussy for a penny anywhere, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful. And Chief actually plays three roles in the movie. Yes, he does. He plays the border guard, uh, the vampire, and the gangster. Yep. And it's, you can tell he's having a blast. He's having a blast. Yeah. <laughs> and the Pittsburgh guy will be Tom Sabini, who's fucking great in it. And that yes. damn crotch gun that Robert Rodriguez loves so much. <laughs> exactly. Good old Tom. But let's and get on to the And of course, the, the one guy. who really kills the movie with one speech is... Uh, Fred the Hammer Williamson, where he talks about stabbing 23 to... D- 23 Vietnamese to death. <laughs> now, nice to have, see Fred in, in a film like that. It really was nice yeah. to see Fred. A good nod. It's a great B movie. but Well, you know what? You're forgetting somebody, you know. Oh, yeah. Bow down, you lowly dog. <laughs> You're forgetting two people. Fuck you. Who? 
three. Michael Parks. Michael Parks. Oh God, yeah. This was the end of the of the Sheriff McGraw films. Films. Yeah. Fucking Michael Parks, and how could you, red-blooded heterosexual male? Forget about fucking uh uh oh oh uh. Pat and Matt and Monica Santanica. Come on. Someone Hayek. Yeah. Please. Satanical pandemonium. <laughs> which is a wonderful and dog, too. of course, and Tarantula, which has the best oh, yeah. band exit line ever. Which is? I can't remember. We're the band. Fuck you, everybody. Good night. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, I, I tell you, my feeling on, on From Cuss Till Dawn is it feels like two movies. Okay? And that's and, how and, they wrote. And it does. And, and to me, that hurts it. Yeah. That, that hurts it. The first half is set in Tarantino land and written by Tarantino. But then Rodriguez just goes apeshit. Yeah, and, and that last that last half is worth the whole film. Oh, yeah. um, you know, and we should mention this too. I've said this several times. Um, Tarantino is an A movie director with a B movie soul. He loves B movies, but he thinks in an A, you know, an A picture director. Yeah. Not Rodriguez. Rodriguez is a B movie director with a B movie soul. He has no problem with that. Loves exploitation, no matter if it's, you know, exploitation like this or even his kids' films. He loves being in that world, and I love him for it. I'm I'm a huge yeah. Rodriguez fan. Yeah, it's just a great B movie. Now, what's your next one? Well, you're going to be be very very disappointed with me. No. You are. Yes, you are. Well, but we have talked about this. I have to say the hate boys. There's a reason yeah. for it, okay? And, and let me make this clear. There's a caveat. I did not see the 70 millimeter cut. Did not see the run show cut, which is significantly different than the 35 millimeter cut that I saw. And I think it, it's hurt badly because of what I saw. Because I it have seen... It. it is. Netflix has the four-hour version, let, the roadshow cut. Let, let me finish, okay? Um, so, because I've only seen certain scenes and have not seen the whole thing, this is why I consider this my next worst. I, I think that it's well put together. Again, nice to see Zoe Bell. I think all the actors and fucking Walter Goggins is incredible in this. Uh, but I think it really was hurt by me seeing the 35 millimeter, and I think that's unfortunate. So go ahead, Steve. Take it from there. I have the DVD of the theatrical cut, and I cannot make it through that motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the only one I've seen. So, so you know, keep that in mind. 
Um, to me, it doesn't hold together as well. Um, it's. I love the cinematography. I love what he does. The nods to Sand Four. Everything is there, but it just doesn't hold together for me in the thirty-five millimeter cut. Just doesn't. From what well, I understand, you've seen how much it opens up the film in the seventy millimeter cut from the clips. Yeah, well, well, the other thing I was going to say is that the seventy millimeter is longer, but it seems to run shorter. Yeah, I watched the whole extended cut that's on Netflix now. Look up Hateful Eight extended version, and four hours were not even dropping, and it didn't even seem that long. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this oh, is and one that. Oh, we to mention it, but the soundtrack from From Dust Till Dawn is some real Tex-Mex Akuna Boy shit. Oh, I love it too. I love it. Yeah, ZZ Top, uh, Texas Funeral. That one's fucking hilarious. I love that one. Mm-hmm. She took my dog and she took my car, and now without that, I can't get very far. So I just grabbed the bottle and acted like my dad. Yep. So, and of course, uh, uh, Willie the Wimp in this Cadillac Coffin by Stevie Vaughn. Steve Vaughn. Oh, great. Great. I love that scene. Yeah. It's a great mix of Mexican music on it. And Tex Mex and and, and yeah. Texas music. And Hateful Eight, I love it soundtrack, Manio Morricone. But it doesn't it's good, but not as good as his other soundtracks. And I'm sorry about the soundtrack on that, but they fucking destroy a a Gibson nineteen uh, thirties guitar by mistake in that film, and they left it in. So I have a problem with that, okay? I'm just saying. Yeah. You know how much that guitar, that mistake cost them? Oh, something like about $10,000. Yeah, around ten twenty thousand dollars Oh, I'm yeah. like, fuck it, you deserve it. Yeah. Okay, so what's your next worst? Next one is uh, one that he wrote, and as a movie itself, Tony Scott does a great job, but it doesn't hold together solid. But goddamn, the moments in it are so fucking great. Oh, yeah, I agree. Gandolfini's speech to Alabama. Mm Mm-hmm. You know how long it's been since I killed a girl? How long? Brad Brad Pitt sitting on the couch telling him to get cleaning products and just playing one of the best movie stoners ever. Was that Gary Oldman? Oh, no, I'm getting to him. And there's Dennis Hopper with, I I, I love his speech when Clarence walks in after not seeing his dad for three years. Mm -hmm. 
Just slow it down, man. Just slow it the fuck down. I haven't even seen you for three fucking years. And then you show up out of the fucking blue. You're not getting that kind of relationship that fucking quick. (laughs) Yeah. And, of course, Sicilians are eggplants. The Sicilians (laughs) Christopher Walken. And Dennis Hopper. Yep. And to top it all off, the best one scene one scene show in any film that I pretty much seen. And it's, hey, this motherfucker must think he's Charlie Bronson. Are you some kind of Charlie Bronson motherfucker? <laughs> hey, Joe, is it White Boy Day? I didn't know it was White Boy Day. (laughs) (laughs) And that would be on my top five pimps. That's Gary Oldman is Drexel. Yeah. He's still a fucking movie. To me, he's the reason to watch the movie. And he's only in it for, what, five minutes? Yeah. It's like, holy shit, you not only stole this movie, you packed it up and moved it to fucking... You know, Albania, so nobody else can get it. <laughs> yeah. And who makes his debut in a Quentin Tarantino scripted movie as one of the four, two drug dealers that Drexel rips off at the first of the movie? I don't know who. Samuel L. Jackson. Jackson. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, he's wearing the cool. He's wearing the LL, LL Cool J Kango hat. Oh, right, right. Yeah, you know that thing. Yeah, pretend the shotgun barrels that fine bitch, and you want to lick that pussy all night. <laughs> yep. And Val Kilmer is great as Elvis. Yes. Agreed. But the best speech in the whole movie for us B-movie guys is when Alabama walks into the movie theater. Who's that? Oh, he's Sonny Chiba. Who's Sonny Chiba? He's less the (laughs) good guy or the bad guy and just one bad motherfucker. (laughs) Yeah. You can't touch that. Well, well. You know, again, again, Tarantino and his scripts and his films will always bow to influences that he had while growing up in film. And Sonny Chiba is a huge influence, and we'll be talking about Sonny when we get into a certain film. Um, But there's love letters all around to Sonny in his films. And, and here's what fun. Well this is where a nice phenomenon happened. It started with True Romance. Uh, Tarantino put a movie out. He put a lot of references in it. So what does the companies do that own the movies he's referencing? They put them out on videotape. True Romance. Absolutely. a lot about Chiba. What do we yeah. get? The Street Fighter remasters from New Line Cinema. Exactly. And sadly, exactly. True Romance flopped when it came out. 
But again, a lot of these films get get second wins because of the VHS and DVD and and get reassessed. And and it's a fun movie. I happen to agree with you that it's not as coherent as it should be, but there are just moments in it that are just pure joy. Well, let's be honest. Here's you. I'm walking into the video store. I want a movie of bad motherfuckers being bad motherfuckers and hot, sexy girls being hot, sexy girls and shooting each other with Elvis. Would you look at a title called True Romance and think, that's going to be the movie with all that in it? (laughs) No. Nope. Well, okay. Now, what's your next one? Oh, you know, I'm I'm thinking here. I'm thinking because now we're getting into the real good stuff, right? Yeah. And And what am I gonna say here? I think I'm gonna go with uh, with uh, um. Oh, come on, Carl. Pulp Fiction. Okay. Pulp Fiction to me. Of course, that's the movie that really had the trumpets and the fanfare that said Tarantino was here. And there's no question that Tarantino was there and that it was a new voice. I think one of the problems with Pulp Fiction is that it uh, sort of propagated a glut of uh, Tarantino-esque films, of which only a few were worthwhile. But nonetheless... Right, but nonetheless, uh, Pulp Fiction is is a wonderful film. You have three, four stories going in at once. You've got the time frame that jumps, and you have to be aware of what's happening. It's the movie that resuscitated uh, Travolta's career, and and you will see that Tarantino does that a lot. He will give yeah. people second and third chances all throughout these films. Um, uh, it also uh, codified Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. You know, Tim Roth, fucking Amanda Plummer. Uh, Bruce oh, Willis. Oh, I love her. I love her. She's so sweet and cute. I'll do that. I love you, honey lunch. I love <laughs> you too, pumpkin. And then all of a sudden, all right, any of you motherfuckers move. I'll execute every fucking last one of you. I love her. Okay, I've had a, I've had a crush on her for years. Okay, um, but there are so many great small roles in that film, and 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 you know, for the film that really announced that Tarantino was here, it is well worth watching. It is one of his best. However, I think there are even better films. Yeah. So, so that's what I have to say about uh, about that film. What What do you think about Pulp oh, Fiction? I'll talk about it a little later. Now that you've opened up this can of fish, what's your favorite of the Tarantino wannabe films, and what's your least favorite? Well, my favorite is Two Days in the Valley. I love Two Days in the Valley. There are you many reasons, but, but one of the reasons 
is Paul Mazursky, who accident. He's regularly a director. Uh, but Paul Mazursky is just fucking awesome in that film. And I love that film. As far as worst, God, uh, things to do in Denver when you're dead. It was named after Warren Zewon's song, so fuck you. Yeah. Yeah, but still, still not a good movie. It tries too hard. My two favorites, yeah. the best, and it would be The Usual Suspects. Well, I don't even consider that a Tarantino-esque film. That, to me, is a little different. It's a little different, but it's still there with the cool dialogue and everybody acting all cool. And yeah, well, I mean, there's influence there. But it, I don't consider yeah. it Tarantino uh, uh, exploitation. Though. But go ahead. I mean, I love it from the dialogue and everything. I'm, it, to me, is Brian Singer's best film, and it's not something I can just watch out of the fucking blue. It's a good film. It's a good film. Yeah. Absolutely. And for worst, I can't believe you've forgotten this piece of shit. And it's okay. one that Tarantino acted in. Uh-oh. I'm sorry, people. This should have been on the no list, but we got to do it. Destiny turns on the radio. I've never seen it. I've oh, I've God, avoided it. I've avoided yes, you it. You avoided it because it sucks a lot of penis. Sure, what? It sucks ass. It's basically Pulp Fiction in a hotel with Tarantino showing up as a guardian angel. Who grants the the rest of them's wishes throughout the second half of the movie? Oh, that sounds bad. Without him even writing the script, they should have had him write the script and not act in it. Yeah. There's so oh, many well. bad ones out there. I mean, you're forgetting the way of the gun, which sucks. Love in the 45. Killing Zoe. What? Killing Zoe. Killing Zoe. Oh, we'll get to that one a little later. Yeah, Uh, right about that one. uh, Let's see. Killing Zoe, Love in the 45. Oh, Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. Yep. They just took what they thought worked at Pulp Fiction. Right. And I'm going to rank but, it high but, in this song, leaving it out. So let's see, what do we have left? Okay, now I want to talk about the hateful 870mm Roadshow Edition. Go ahead, sir. I don't know why he did this. I consider this a completely vanity move. But there's different dialogue readings in the fucking movie. The song with Jennifer Jason Lee is longer. There's different shots used because of the camera he used. 
it's just like a completely different beast. It is. And then, From what I understand. Go ahead. It is. It is. You know, from what I've seen, it, it's completely different. So my take on the hateful eight, remember, was the thirty-five millimeter. I'll just let you run from here. So go right ahead. Yeah, I mean, it plays different. Like uh, when Walt Doggins Goggins arrest says he knew of him because didn't he say? What did he say in the theatrical? Something about he's uh, one ugly looking. Bastard or something. Yeah, something like that, right. And then there's Henry Miller and he goes, I knew you did it. You know why? Because you're one ugly son of a bitch. Yep. And with Samuel Jackson's torturing uh, Bruce Dern's character, you know how he uses dick, cock, and balls in the theatrical? Yep. In the 70 millimeter, he uses every light and offensiveless word. My Willie, my PP, my Johnson. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, my dangling was warm, and he liked that. <laughs> See, that's more entertaining. That's a lot more entertaining. Yeah. Well, when I went to seeing this, only played in one theater over in Knoxville. What, what, what fucked the Roadshow Edition, Carl? Is the fact that Star Wars, the new one, you know, The Force Awakens, uh-huh. had basically booked every. IMAX screen they could get to make sure that they only put it in like 80 or so theaters, I think. The 70 millimeter version. Yep. But it's an entirely different film. You can see it on Netflix. Watch that version and try not to watch the theatrical because the theatrical is shit. I would rank it lower than Carl did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate, you know. And we talked about it when it first came out. And I kept saying you and I saw two different movies. You said yeah, absolutely, we did. Yeah. And what would your next one be? Well, now I think I have to go. Okay. I'm going to put them together. Well, no, actually, I'm going to go to... Let's see. That's a good question. I'm going to go to Django Unchained. Okay? Uh, and it's a brilliant film. And it's really, really good. And, and we're now at the point where every film we're mentioning is an excellent film. Let's keep that in mind. Okay, so the next three that I have to deal with is, is kind of hard to put them together, but I have, I have to go 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 with Django Unchained. Uh, it's a wonderful film. Uh, Christoph Waltz is, is fantastic. Uh, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, everybody in it is really really good, and it's it's 
it's fun. It goes back to <clears throat> sort of a spit in the face to uh, to to the uh, uh, southern uh, exploitation uh, plantation films. Yeah. You know, you know, and and uh, just really, really good. And it was the second film, of course. Uh, with Christoph Waltz winning an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor in a yeah. Quentin Tarantino film. So, I can't say anything more than that. It's a damn good movie. Okay, back up the dump truck. Beep, beep. Another thing that a lot of people have problem with Django is they said... Leonardo DiCaprio, everything I've read says Leonardo DiCaprio's the main villain in Django Unchained and how the movie loses momentum once he gets killed. That would be true if he was the main bad guy, but he ain't. No, he's not. See, both you and I got this. Not many people did. Go ahead. The main villain in Django Unchained is uh, Samuel Jackson's character. Now, forgive us, but we got to call it by what he really represents, and that would be the house nigger. Yeah. And what that was is that they were the ones who kissed, kissed their owner's ass until they get to live inside the house, which means right, they exactly. thought they were better than the people that worked out on the fields and stuff. Oh, absolutely. And from the way that they talk about the movie, it makes me wonder if Samuel L. Jackson's character is Calvin's dad. That's a good question. And I do love oh, it when Samuel Jackson drops his Uncle Tom Southern. Yep. I be walking here, massa. Voice in the movie. Mm-hmm. And you're sitting up. Yep. And of course, it's the first appearance of Walt Goggins in the movie. True. Yeah. In a Tarantino film. Yeah. And Jamie Foxx is great in that movie. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and also, also, we've got to say that it's wonderful that he takes Django. He connects it to Franco Nero, but also the Jamie Foxx character is related to John Shaft. Yeah. Because his wife's name is Brunhilde von Schaft. <laughs> yep. <laughs> A few people laughed in the theater when I went and seen that. But hey, what do you expect? That's an obscure joke. Same as the name of Cows and Candy's Plantation. Do you remember what that was? No, say, say it for me again. Candyland. Oh, Candyland, of course. Yeah, like this is like that damn board game we all played when we were babies. Yeah. But my favorite 
acted scene in the movie is when King Schultz sees real racism for the first time. He loses his shit. Oh, and he's wonderful in it. Fucking wonderful. And that brings up a thing I love about Tarantino's movies. When someone fucks up in a Tarantino movie, they always pay the fucking price. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a great movie, a great soundtrack. Though I wish they would have kept the end instead of making the stinger through the movie when he escapes. Right. And he just blows the gate off, and all of a sudden, it just shows that guy sitting there smiling. It was supposed to continue on for a couple of beats, and when the one black looks in and goes, who the hell was that motherfucker? And he didn't say motherfucker. Right. So what would be your next one? It's getting hard, isn't it? Yeah. Basically, you got two choices now. Yeah. Well, I got Django Unchained. I mean, Inglorious Bastards, I would put... No, I'll put Django Unchained, agree with you, that boot to the next one for me, which would be Inglorious Bastards. And I would agree with you also on this. That was the first film that he did with Christoph Waltz, and he just owed the screen in it. Playing such an unlikable son of a bitch. But by God, you still liked him. Think about it for a second. He is a true villain, but by God, that first scene in French House. And just the way that he purports himself and just ratchets up the tension inch by inch by inch. It is beautiful, and he plays it so perfectly. Not only that, there's this this, um, sense of, uh, you know, he knows several languages. He's very erudite. You know, he's very polite to people. And he is such a fucking asshole. It's wonderful. He's brilliant. And Brad Pitt and his crew are fucking psychos in it. <coughs> True. And the city where Lieutenant Aldo Ray from <coughs> Glorious Bastards is from is where my great-grandfather lived as a kid. Habersham, Tennessee, about 20 or so minutes up the road. Right. Of course, remember... Most of these characters uh, in are named after directors or actors. So Aldo Ray was an actor in, in the movies, and 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 uh, that from about the early fifties up until when. Oh God, died yeah, I know who Aldo Ray is. You know, he was uh, one of those course, guys got... like uh, Audie Murphy, who got out of the army with a bunch of badges, so they made him into a war hero in the movies. Right. And let's not forget our favorite, 
uh, named after our favorite actor, one of the characters, oh. Hugo, Hugo Stiglitz. Stiglitz. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, you've got to explain why you're laughing, okay? So you've got to explain it to our audience here. I'll just tell a story that that Umberto Lanzi talks about on Nightmare City. And he talked about filming it, and he said, what do you think of the lead actress? Oh, she is good. She did good with this crappy script. What do you think of uh, your lead actor? Oh, Hugo Stiglitz. How is it that you Americans describe him? He is like plank of wood. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. He is a very wooden, very bad actor. And it's wonderful and that, that Tarantino would name one of the characters that because those of us that love Grindhouse and bad films, we have a great love of Hugo Stiglitz because we can't think of anyone else who's as shitty an actor as he is. Well, Seriously. do you remember what award do I always get let on this show at the end of the year? Uh, yeah, the Hugo Stiglitz Award. Stiglitz Absolutely. Award for Excellence in Acting. <laughs> yep. Oh, and guess whose character? It's There's a couple of issues of Playboy with comics of unused bits and inglorious bastards in the movie. And okay. you know why uh, Eli Ross' character, the Bear Jew, has got names written all over his uh, baseball bat? Uh, those are the people that he killed? No. Those are the people who died in the concentration camps. And he went to the people whose families were there in New York mm-hmm. City. And he got each of them to sign their loved one's name to the bat. Oh, nice. And guess That's who cool. had a role in that? Who she... But who Tarantino cut out? I don't know who. Cloris Leachman. Nice. Let's imagine Cloris Leachman saying that. Will you promise to beat their brains in with that? Yes, ma'am, I do. Well, thank you very much, kind sir. (laughs) Good. Yeah, and Listen, in course, uh, that really shows the power of film because they set fire a bunch of movies and killed them. This is one of his start of his alternative history movies. <laughs> yes, and, 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 and it's very well. And let's not forget the other actors in it. Uh, you know, uh, seriously. Um, give me a second here. I gotta get to it. Um, but uh, Melanie Laurent, uh, Aspender is in it. Uh, Diane Kruger, who is just brilliant. There's that scene. She's the German actress who's, who's helping them actually. And and uh, there's that scene in the in the bar that's just so brilliant. Uh, uh, the actress. And one of really, the people really has on their head. And it's a wee bit early for him, but it's cool it's there. And it's Edgar Wallace. Yes. Yep. Diane 
Kruger's character is based on a real character who worked in the German film industry but smuggled out a lot of, helped a lot of Jews cross over and did all sorts of anti-Nazi stuff until they called her she fled the country. Wow. Um, well, I tell you, it's, it's a great, great film. And 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 yeah. if you haven't seen it, you got to see it for 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 Christoph Waltz. Period. Man is just a force of nature in that film. He seriously is. And he has the best pipe gag in the whole fucking history of movies. <laughs> Which is what? Remind me. Where that the the farmer. To really just show that he's in charge, pulls out that corn cob pipe. Yeah. And starts puffing with it in front of Kristoff. Uh huh. And then Kristoff and Walt pulls out this giant fucking deer fucking pipe. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's like you pull out a giant dick and just went whoop. What do you want to do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't fuck with me, people. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, we're down to two movies at this point. We're down to two movies, or actually three, if you want to count Kill Bill as as one and two as as one movie or two. Well, you can because uh, I've But but I have to put the two of them together. Uh, but if I would have to say which which of the two I prefer separately better, uh, it's real close. But I think it would have to be number one. So number two, it has brilliance. Uh, this is the movie that everybody finally fucking noticed Michael Parks, and everyone just went, "Holy shit, who is?" That certainly happened to me. Uh, he's just brilliant in both these films. Uh, and I love the whole Hong Kong feel of the film. Uh, this is a, a love letter to to both uh, uh, Hong Kong action films and even uh, uh, um, Italian westerns, spaghetti westerns to a certain degree, yeah. too. Um, just and then of course you know, we talked earlier about Chiba. Well, this is his love note, to Sanji. And and, oh, and I know. Great. Well, oh. well, I know several people. Hold on, Steve. That that didn't know who Sonny Chiba was who went to see this film, and I had to explain to them who Sonny Chiba was. You know, and, and why he was there and, 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 and why he's important. And so for that alone, I give uh, Tarantino credit. I mean, seriously, that he gave Sonny such a wonderful role uh, in Kill Bill 1. But, but go ahead. Uh, you, you go on. And you've seen, actually, the two films together, which I have not seen, which is called The Whole Bloody Affair. So you yeah. might want to talk about that but separately, Green just too. says Kill Bill. Yeah. He made this as one four-hour movie, but then Harvey Pervert from Mirror 
and the YC company saw, ooh, if I bust them up, I'll get twice the money from them. And it kills the momentum. Because imagine going with just like a 10-minute piss break from part one to part two. Yep. You would still be coming down off that high of the crazy 88 oh. flight as you're watching oh. the the church scene where the massacre happens. Right. Uncut you know, in four hours. Well, I mean, just cutting one film. Kill Bill 1 and 2 are two, two hours apiece. One hour and 50 minutes each. Together, they're four hours and three minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it just um, flows better. And you're forgetting, uh, well, little things like when Michael Parks drove up, drove up that was the yep. A.B. Halaki shot, if you've ever seen... Uh, Oh, yeah. I, I, I caught that. That's a whole shot. Yeah. Absolutely. That was a weird trait of H.B. Halaki. He always had his dash with like five pairs of sunglasses heading out. You know, again, so many of these things we're mentioning are going over most people's heads. Let's face it. It's only nerds like us that get it. And it, that, let's, listen, that's exactly what Tarantino is. He'll, he'll say yeah. it straight. He's a fucking film nerd. Okay? And there's nothing wrong with that as far as I'm concerned. I'm okay, go wanting, ahead. Oh, sorry. I've been wanting to throughout the years, but I have never found the proper situation yet to call somebody a call, tall drink a cocksucker. <laughs> well, you know what? Next time we get together, you could call me that. That's fine. Yeah, well, I just love how he pulls that out of there. Yeah, that tall drink of cocksucker right there ain't dead. <laughs> and it That's even reference and Kill Bill even references fucking eaten alive by Toby Hooper. Yeah. <laughs> And in Kill Bill, it plays differently because you don't know that B.B. is still alive until she breaks into Bill's house. Right. So she comes off as more of a cold-blooded, sadistic bitch than Mm -hmm. if you know that, oh, her daughter's alive. She's killing for her daughter. You can justify it. Right. Can but you think damn. of any revenge in that whole movie where it's not justified? No. And remember this, she even lets a couple people go. Remember? Yeah. She kills most everyone, but she does leave a couple people go. But you know who I think is the is is, is gets the best, you know, come up as is is uh, the band, uh, the guy who, who tries to rape her in a hospital. Oh, Buck. Buck. 
What's he here to do? Fuck, he's here to fuck. I ain't fucking him. Here to fuck. <laughs> right after he said one of his funniest lines when she's banging. Oh, and do you remember how pissed off people were when that guy, when they leave her with the cheerleader, they don't go back and save her for basically being raped by him? Yep. Guess what his name is? I don't know. What's his name? Buck. <laughs> so he gets his kill. He gets his revenge. He gets killed and kill Bill. <laughs> but but you know again I I have to bring this up with Kill Bill. Uh, so you see, I saw it with two separate films. So you see the first one, and it's this wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, bow down to Hong Kong films. You have the Crazy 88s and that sort of thing. You have Michael Parks. You have all this good stuff. Then you get the number two. And it does change the whole feel of it. But then something happens that made my jaw drop. And it wasn't until at the end of the film that my jaw dropped even further. And that is our friend Michael Parks plays a separate role in number two. Yeah. And he plays and he plays Esteban with a perfect Mexican accent and I didn't even know it was fucking him. Seriously, not until the end of the film. He just Heals that 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 movie with that scene. Oh, what do and you here's think? another connection to Grindhouse that has. What is of okay. uh, Esteban Villajeo's uh, gang, his boys called in uh, Kill Bill? I don't know. What um, remind me? The Acuna Boys. Oh yeah, the Acuna Boys. That's right. You remember that shitty commercial? That commercial for the shitty Mexican restaurant in Grindhouse? Oh, yeah. That's the Acuna Boy <laughs> Mexican restaurant. <laughs> Wonderful. But, but I mean, seriously. Uh, and you can tell the story. Basically, what happened was that they had someone cast, but uh, they backed out, and, and suddenly he didn't know what to do. And uh, Michael Parks went, I could do a Mexican accent. No, fine. He did that. And it's just creepy as fuck. Seriously, creeps me the fuck out. Unbelievable. I would have only cut you a little bit. And then show that girl basically half her face split open. I'm just like, God damn. But yeah, and it seems like 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 the bride. It's hold on, it seems legal. like the bride. Has, yeah. Hold hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. It seems like the bride is actually afraid of him. We talked about this. Yeah. What do you What do you think? Am I is that is that a right take from me on that? Yeah. Okay. And yeah. you're forgetting someone else that's in the movie twice. Well, there's a lot of people there right, twice, but go ahead. The master killer himself, 
fucking Johnny Moe, the dirty hoe. Yep. Gordon yep. fucking Lou. Yep. What happened was is that, well, Loli has played Pi May in over ten films for Shaw Brothers and on his own. So Quentin Tarantino hired him, but then he got sick before filming, and he went over to uh, Lou and said, you want to play Pi May? And then he was nervous, and all of a sudden Lou was like, oh, it's about fucking time. I've been wanting to play the bad guy who kicks my ass all over the place for 20 years, you know, for forever now. Nice. And he is so good as Pi May. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and let's talk a little bit about that scene at at the sushi bar with Eva. And I'm going to let you take this because you do it so much better than I do. Oh, you mean that? How yeah, come I yeah. don't have to don't, get the don't. fucking key? If I was in the army, I'd be a general right now. If you were a fucking general, I'd be the fucking emperor. And you'd still get the fucking key. <laughs> <laughs> this, of course, is all in in, in uh, Japanese, so keep that in mind. Yeah. But the funniest bit is when he switches over to English in that one part, where he talked to him in the air, he said, da-da-da-da-da, in Japanese, and he goes, you know what I mean? <laughs> whole yes, and I did the arm pointing out thing, too. And Noma Thurman, too. Where, where oh, she, yeah, she, she was talks perfect to... in the role. Oh, yeah. She's brilliant in the role. And, of course, that role was written by for her, specifically. Yeah. But but the, for, for those of us that grew up seeing the Street Fighter and seeing that scene and seeing how important he is, that he is Hanzo, he makes these swords, and those swords are so important throughout this film. And it's just... It, it was such a joy to see him featured so much in that that you could tell that uh, Tarantino loved Sonny Chiba. Seriously. No question. Yeah. Oh, and uh, on the TV show Samurai Warriors, Sonny Chiba played a character called Hitori Hanzo. And each season it was set in a different time period, but it still had uh, one of Hanzo's relatives. Tori Hanzo the second, Tori Hanzo the third. Right. So I think the one in, the one in Kill Bill owns a sushi bar is Hanzo the sixth. Yeah, at least. At least. Uh, yeah, I I love Kill Bill. A lot of people love Kill Bill. But I do understand that there's a difference between waiting ten minutes to get to the slower pace of the second half of the movie, where it works, and having to wait.
wait about half a fucking year. It was even more than that. It was about eight months. Yeah. Talk about, about losing momentum. Yeah. And I love and kill Bill. Everybody deserves their fucking revenge. Let's be honest, Carl. When that idiot with the beard showed up at, well, the bride, Beatrix's fiance, showed up and was like, hey, Grandpa, how you doing, old man? And you look over and you see him, Bill, and he's like, this is the motherfucker. She broke my heart, made me think she is dead and abandoned me for I'm sorry, but he's justified in wanting to kill her ass. Don't you think? Carl? Carl, you there? Steven, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay, okay, I got cut off. Okay, but here's the question. What would you do if you found out the girl that you love the most had faked her death to hide from you with your child and was marrying a fucking goober like that guy was? I wouldn't be happy, but I don't know if I'd go to his situation or not and do what he did, so no. Well, he says he overreacted later in the movie. (laughs) Yeah, to say the least, he did. To Um, say the least. So so anyway, um, I think we should probably get on to our number one pick because I need to be out of here around 3.30, okay? Okay. Oh, don't. Oh, we'll get that. Right. Here's one thing I forgot earlier. When Django come out, they uh, were uh, bitching, if you, well, you remember, about how he was ripping off Django. Oh, yeah. Franco Nero. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know what? They're about 150 films plus too late. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, he had Franco Nero in that film, too. Yeah. Don't forget. He he is silent. I know. (laughs) And our number one is, for most, a lot of his fans, they consider this his worst film. They consider it too talky, too slow-paced. Fuck you. I like the fact that it's talky and it's slow-paced. 
I also think it's one of his most adult films. I think if it would have been, I think if this film would have been embraced at the time, Tarantino would have gone into a different direction, or at least a slightly different direction. And of yeah. course, let's let's tell everyone which film we're talking about here. Jackie Brown, based on Rum Punch by Elmore Leonard. I think it is a great, great uh, adaptation of Rum Punch, but. For those of us, this is this is a nod. This is a genuflection toward two people, and the genuflection to Pam Greer and black exploitation film, and Robert Forster. Now, everybody else that's in it, including De Niro, Samuel Jackson, you know, everybody, you know, Bridget Fonda, they're wonderful in it, but. The movie is about Pam Greer and Robert Forster and what it means being older. And this is what I think a lot of people didn't didn't really get. But my God, it, I just love this movie. I think it is just brilliant. Okay, so go ahead, Stephen. You, you, oh, it is a it very great film, and I love it. <laughs> And I love the fact that every band in the movie pretty much falls, except for Robert De Niro because he never meets her, pretty much falls in love with Jackie Brown. Yeah, you know, but, but, but you know, Samuel L. Jackson uses her. Other people really use her, and, and, and so does Michael Keaton. Uh, she's used and abused throughout the film. It's 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 a sense of luck. It's a sense of 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 knowing, having this this idea of how to get out of this situation because she's being squeezed on all sides, and the happenstance with with Forster being a Dale's bondsman and that and the relationship there that really pulls it together. Um, yeah. Well, seriously, seriously, that last. Three minutes of the film. I'm I'm crying at the end of that. It's like motherfuckers get together, but no, no, it's not going to happen. Because he's too old. Not too. It's a wonderful film, and and the other thing I have to say about it is the fucking soundtrack. We were talking about what soundtracks you like the most. Uh-huh. Hands down, Jackie Brown. Out of the Quentin's films. <coughs> Seriously. Strawberry Letter 22, uh, Didn't I Blow Your Mind uh, This Time, Natural High by Bloodstone, uh, the slower R&B version of Across 110th Street. Oh, absolutely. The Lion and the Cucumber from Vampirio. Hold on. <coughs> Vampiros Lesbos. Psychedelic yes. sex party. Which I love that he has something on a soundtrack from a Sean Rowling film. It's wonderful. Smack! What? Yeah. But Midnight Confessions? Uh, Dude. Uh, um, 
you know. Uh, Jesus is mad at you now. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, fuck you. Bill Withers tune. Who is he and what is he to you? Yeah, who is he? The Lion and the Cucumbers from a Jess Franco movie. Right. But oh, yeah, sorry. Bill Withers, my, my who fault. is he and what is he to you? Oh, yeah. God damn it. Didn't I blow your mind? And what is he to you? <laughs> oh, it, 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 it's such a great soundtrack. It's such a great Say, soundtrack. Damn, you a big fucker. What's your name? Who are you? I'm Winston. What do you do? Yep. I find people. <laughs> Tiny Lister. Yay. Yeah. He just has those lines and he's just great. But, yeah, when me and Carl, well, the whole thing went under earlier this year. Do you remember what scene I sent you? No, no, hand. Tell me. Remind me. The one with uh, Samuel Jackson and Robert De Niro in the van? Yes. Yeah, that was my tired feelings, man. What the fuck happened to you, man? You used to be... That scene breaks your heart. What happened yeah. to you, man? You used to be great. When I went to see it, a lot of people got confused and pissed off about the whole money exchange scenes and how they showed it three times, but each time they show completely different information. Well, you know what that is. That's where showman. Know your fucking films. Yeah. Each person's going to have a different view of that. Absolutely. Yeah, it is just, I'll still say it's his best film to me. Second best is Django Unchained. Right, I, I I'd have to go. I'd have to go. Uh, number one, Jackie Brown. Number two, uh, Kill Bill. Put the two of them together. Um, I I I love Jackie Brown, and 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 we haven't really mentioned uh, uh, Bob Forster, but this was this was the film. Again, Tarantino has the tendency to really take actors. And feature them after after they've sort of gone downhill or or out of the uh, public eye, and this was a film that really reinvigorated Forster's career, and it, it, and he deserved it. And he any started, other he year, up. Forster would have won Best Supporting Actor. And he should have won that. No, that was definitely uh, Landau's year for Bela Lugosi. Yeah. No. Yeah. Who did? I forget it. I was fucked it up. Oh, that's okay. I fucked up, and she said I didn't even do that right. Bitch. (laughs) Up. I always thought, wasn't it the Robin Williams one that year? Yeah, Goodwill Hunting. Nah, nah. It it, it was Forster. Forster should have fucking won that. Easily. Easily. 
Yeah. But you know what? Forcer still acted. He's got a movie coming yeah. out in, uh, next month. Yeah. And tomorrow coming out, and you can go listen to the soundtrack mix already because I haven't even seen them announce a hard, ver- a physical version of the fucking soundtrack yet. And it's two day, and it, well, no, it's less than twenty four fucking hours before it hits theaters. Yeah. <coughs> I, I haven't seen any, any peeps about a hard, a hard disc soundtrack to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh come on, you know it's gonna come out. Come on, not to worry. It's coming. Yeah. No question. And honestly, this is Tarantino's love note to. Uh, 1969 and an alternative history of it. Well, and of course, we just did the uh, did the show last week on our uh, films from 1969, too. So to set the set the mood and yeah. everything for what's coming up this weekend. So that's what we've been doing the last couple of weeks, you and I. So this weekend, adults, not the kids. Go see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and support adult films. Because if I see you over at the Pinnacle this weekend and you come out of the Lion King and there's no kids around you within two minutes going daddy or mommy or even uncle or aunt, I'm the one who's going to be throwing shit at you and calling you a motherfucker. (laughs) <laughs> Something to the turns like Motherfucker You're the reason we can't have good things Motherfucker Yep Yep but Yeah uh, In the end Tarantino's a great high water director But You'll be shocked. Only one film, and that's the Roadshow version of Hateful Eight, has ever really made a number one slot on my list. But you know what? He's very, very um, <laughs> um, confident, and, and, and you know they're going to be good. You yeah. know, there's only one. I for for both of us, there's only one that's really, really bad. Now, of course, they're different for us, but otherwise... Four you know, rooms. Well, Four rooms not, sums again, up everything that was wrong about the 90s indie movement. Mm-hmm. Yep. But that and wasn't that's just him either. that's a that really hasn't been picked at yet because people are too busy worshipping the 90s independent film movement. But... You know, I I certainly think that this is going to be a really good film for him. I hope it works out well, uh, Stephen. I'll be very interested in what your your take is on it, and I will definitely get to see it at one point or another. No question. Probably in the next couple of weeks. I'm still jealous of your ass because you got uh got to see uh Gator crawl. <laughs> Oh man, that was such a good little movie. That was it, it, it's it's nothing more than what it's supposed to be. A good solid B action survival pick done extremely well and just streamlined and 
89 minutes, boom. I it was think perfect. you might and have to uh, uh, find someone else for Friday because Mrs. B wants to do the show. Oh, Mrs. B. Yeah. Okay, well, let me see. Uh, we'll talk about it. If we don't do it Friday, maybe we'll do it Saturday. Okay, but but that we'll talk. I'm... We'll talk tomorrow. Okay, and remember, go watch this damn movie this weekend. Support good movies, you assholes. I mean, you <laughs> loving Patreon listeners. Well, yes, Don't we love our listeners. You already seen, damn it. <laughs> this is true, and and Stephen, thank you very very much for having me on. I really appreciate it, and I'm glad to okay. be here. Good All right, night. and go go watch, go go watch Once Upon a Time, uh, in Hollywood this weekend, guys, and enjoy. And uh, uh, any last words, Mister Stephen, before uh, I head off into the wild blue? Yeah, the guy who played Charles, who plays Charles Manson. This is going to get convoluted, so you want to sit down for a second. The guy who played Charles Manson in. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is the same guy who played Mags Bennett's daughter in Justified with Timothy, with Timothy Oliphant, who's in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, who the main villain of the show is Boyd Crowder, played by Walt Goggins. And also in Justified has Karen Sisko. In it, and what was the other what? movie that she appeared in? I don't know. Out of sight, and who was her boyfriend for the FBI in Out of Sight? Jesus, Clooney, Michael Keaton, who's Keaton, playing the same right. role that he played in Jackie Brown. Brown, that's right. Yeah, the fucking yeah, but Elmore all... Leonard universe lives. Yeah, yeah. We I love Elmore Leonard. I do. I do. Very, very much so. And you need to go on Netflix and watch Justified, goddammit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got to see Justified. Okay. All right, man. See Listen. you. Okay, see you later. Thanks a lot, Stephen. You too, bye. Bye.
good night, everybody. Good reading, whenever the hell you listen to it. And always remember, go see a good movie this weekend. Peace.